today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Welcome friends, I'm back with another exciting episode of Tokenomics and today, an absolute legend of game design, Graham Devine, is here. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, as far as I can tell, you're the person who's responsible for me knowing the definition of the word ruddy. Because I don't know <laughs> if you remember, but uh, when I first got a PC with the CD player, I got one of those big, long stacks of like games and an encyclopedia and stuff. And of course, like everybody, I had Seventh Guest and uh, one of the early puzzles in there. It's like drilled into my brain. I still, uh, I still remember figuring out that "ruddy" was a word on one of those early, uh, early puzzles. Yeah, the telescope puzzle from the library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that I was I wasn't any good at point and click adventure games, so I don't think I ever got more than two puzzles into Seventh Guest. Uh, but you've worked on uh, truly some some legendary games: uh, Seventh Guest, Eleventh Hour, Quake Three Arena, Halo Wars, and Magic Leap, all uh, before uh, your journey into blockchain games. Uh, really, just a, a legendary. A set of experiences in in game design. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun little lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're currently at uh, QXR, where uh, I know you you're working on uh, blockchain gaming. Uh, you've got a game out, Metropolis Origins. Um, why don't you start? I, I've given a little intro, but why don't you start by just giving the audience uh, who's maybe not as big of a game design nerd as I am a little bit of background on, on yourself and your uh, experience in, in game development? No problem. Uh, well, I started to make games back in actually the 1970s on a, uh, a TRS-80. Um, oh, wow. And so that was a black and white computer back then. It had a, a resolution which would take up smaller than the little red circle that uh that the mac uses to, to you know to to minimize the display um so very small resolution but uh, it was fun to learn assembly code on that as the 80 assembly code and then i moved on to learn code on the sinclair spectrum the atari 400 the commodore 64 and so forth and i worked at atari um and i did uh, the uh, the english ports to the english computers of pole position which is a car racing okay. game 
um, and that became pretty popular and that did fairly well for me. And then I made a bunch of my own games called Firebirds and uh, Excel, and I did the port of Ball Blazer, which is a um, which was a Lucasfilm Games game. Uh, I did that to the Spectrum, and then I helped on the ports of that to the uh, to the Microsoft MSX machine. And I started my own company in the UK, uh, and that that went under. Uh, my, my partner got addicted to cocaine. That was not very. Oh good. no. That was that was that was a big lesson. Uh, right. <laughs> then, um, but eventually, I moved to the states, and right. um, uh, in 1988, I moved to the states, and I worked for Virgin Games there, Virgin Mastertronic. Mm-hmm. I did games there, like a um, spot on the NES, um, which we did before we actually had any um, development kits for the NES. So we used to have the Bernie proms. Um, oh, wow. to actually do any dev we used to, so we used to have to go to Toys R Us every day and buy um, um, you buy Zelda cartridges so we could actually burn e-coms <laughs> into it to go test <laughs> and beat people out so that was pretty incredible to right, line so up you were, you were like pulling e-coms. pulling the little chips out of Zelda cartridges to use oh, yeah. for your development that's crazy and that was how we tested with lots of print statements and everything with a badly photocopied Japanese book copy of a you know, dev thing. And Wow. C- compared to that, uh, developing on blockchain must seem easy and uh, painful. Oh, yeah. Throwing <laughs> anything now. Yeah. It's compared <laughs> to burning EPROMs. I used to burn EPROMs. <laughs> um, then, of course, Seventh Guest, Love Hour, Clandestiny, yeah. all those games. Um, and... Um, and those games those were huge right it was like yeah. everybody i know who had a computer with the cd player had seventh guest i don't i don't think yeah. anybody did not and we got lots of letters about them from families who played together and fought over the mouse and a lot of people learned programming um to try and solve the problems especially the microscope puzzle that you know that writes in saying hey i learned how to program to, just to solve this puzzle wow and that was always that was always incredible um and, so that was just something that was you know, fun to do. And then, you know, Trilobite tried to go public and the dot-com bubble happened and Trilobite was no more. Um, and that was also a big lesson. Um, so I went to id and became the lead designer on Quake 3 and did a bunch of the network programming for Quake 3 and worked with John Carmack, which was fantastic. You know, yeah. he is the genius that everyone says he is. And... Uh, Worked a little bit on Doom 3, and then one day I decided that I didn't want to work on blood spurting out of demons anymore. That was mm. not my thing. <laughs> um, and I went to Ensemble Studios, and uh, um, we worked a little bit on Age of Empires 3, but then became lead designer on Halo Wars. Uh, that yeah. was a lot of fun, working in the Halo universe. Um, and that was just, I got to add some canon to the universe, some planets, and... Uh, um, another Ravita and some characters, and um, that was that, that, that was a hell of a lot of fun. The first RTS in the Halo universe was bringing it back to its roots because Halo was originally an RTS game before it was a first-person shooter. Um, and then after that, I went to Apple and helped launch the iPad, uh, which was uh, oh, wow. an interesting time um, to help work on latency for games on touchscreens. Try to convince people that uh, uh, the touch, you know, uh, the touch joysticks are terrible, and you have this wonderful touch display that can do things. And still, people make touch joysticks, and I'm like, 
just go <laughs> buy a Nintendo Switch. It's much better joypad. Um, right. Don't use the touchscreen. Um, then after that, I kind of retired um, and kind of set myself back into Santa Cruz, California, and started a little company that was uh, called GRL Games. It was Graham Rocky Laurie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my wife and daughter. And I was going to go write the next big adventure game, the next big seventh guest. Um, but my wife and daughter said, no, Dad, we really want you to write a solitaire game. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm Graham Devine. I am the great, you know, the legendary game designer, Graham Devine. I'm going to write the next big seventh guest. And they're like, no, right. a solitaire game. So I wrote Fullback there, Solitaire. Yeah. There's no reason a solitaire it, game can't have a story and uh, adventure puzzles in it. So 25 million downloads later, it's my oh, best-selling wow. game. <laughs> That's great. Um, so yeah, there was that. Um, and so my daughter, my wife actually did the design, and I just did the programming. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then one day I'm walking along the beach in Santa Cruz, and Rody Abowitz calls up and says, Hey, Magic Leap, come to Florida. And I'm like, no, thanks, I'm good. Um <laughs> And he calls up again and says, no, really, come to Florida. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come to Florida and take a look. So I go to Florida and, uh, you know, nine years later, here we are. Um, you know, I, I was at Magic Leap for seven years, discovering what it meant to be creating things that aren't really there, living in the real world, what XR really is, moving on from adding pixels to our eyes everywhere to learning to not add pixels everywhere to your eyes, to actually integrating things into the real world, making rules up for, you know, what to do to make interesting things appear that useful for you when you put a headset on uh, and tr- trying to leave that world in a better place until, of course, Magic Leap decided that creatively it went in it into a different direction. Got it. To QXR Studios. Yeah. So, and now you're, I, you know, there's kind of a, a through line uh, of, uh, I mean, many, there's no one genre that defines your work. You've had hit games across uh, multiple genres. I mean, just having the breadth to do uh, Quake 3 and Solitaire and Halo Wars. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really impressive. Um and to be constantly kind of pushing yourself onto what sounds like kind of cutting edge of technology, uh, whether on purpose or by accident. Um, I'm, I have to be, I'm so curious about Magic Leap because fr- from the outside, that's been one of the more interesting stories in technology and gaming. Um, what was it like to go, I mean, you talked literally about burning things onto EEPROM, so like you're no, no stranger to... Um, getting as close to the hardware as possible and hacking shit and working on things that are in development, but kind of what, what was it like working on a new platform that's unproven, that's being built, that's highly experimental? I mean, I, I feel like this must be very similar to what it's like to work in blockchain games right now, but I'm curious what it's like when you add in that extra layer of, uh, of a brand new technology that's kind of being discovered alongside it. Oh, it's, it's a magical time. It's it's an interesting, and we had what we call WDs, you know, wearable demo, you know, um, WD1, WD2, WD3. WD1 never actually really turned on. It was a big triangle thing that um, <laughs> turned on maybe once or twice, and if you put your hand here, 300 volts will go through you, and that was bad. 
Um, and on that, they and, raised $1 billion. <laughs> uh, we raised money on a, something called you know, the Big Bench, which um, uh-huh. you put your head into and you could go see uh, Lightfield. And that was incredible. And the Lightfield yeah. I saw was basically, I put my head into this thing, into this machine, and I, I looked out and there was two monsters playing around and I, I could basically control them with a joypad. Mm-hmm. And then in the back of the room, a monster stood up and I hadn't noticed that the monster was there before. And mm-hmm. when I looked at the monster in the back of the room, the monsters on the table in front of me went out of focus. And when I looked at the monsters on the table, the monster in the back of the room went out of focus. And that was a true light field. That was a true yeah. light. And we've not achieved that yet in a headset. We've not achieved that kind of fidelity that we achieved on Big Bench, which was the size of a, you know, a large refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that... That refrigerator doesn't get to be put onto a headset, um, yeah. but that was incredible. And when we achieve that, that will be life changing. That will change the world. And we're getting close. Um, yeah. You know, the ML1 got close. The, you know, the ML2 is closer, and others are getting closer still. But uh, um, to be able to make prototypes for those kind of applications, um, it was interesting to take people through that, and to it was a voyage of discovery. Yeah, I I bet that sounds. Um equal parts just like incredibly fun and probably maddening at the same time to be learning learning what the limits of the new technology are and running into it um kind of like you know if i'm if i'm making a mobile game right now i know what i can do with it right like there's not that much unexplored territory uh for new touch-based mobile games right now but this is like truly uh, uh, blue ocean of figuring out how your br- what your brain is even capable of understanding in this new uh, interface. Yeah, and it's moving away from the mobile paradigm we've had for so long of touch and look at a piece of glass, touch that glass to actually mm-hmm. placing it in the world and going back to I can pick up you know my glass and my you know of water and my you know my phone at the same time and do do i can multi-context mm-hmm. um and yet i've been so used to for you know over 10 years now to using one application at a time on my phone and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden i'm in a world of where it should multi-context and how do I, we write an operating system that should do that um and try to find engineers that understand that and still like no one app runs at a time rem no, it needs to be like the world because we're, right. we're in the world now and it's getting people to, and we're still not there on that. It's, yeah. you know, the, the devices still just run one at a time. And it's, it's, we're a long way to go before we're truly in the multiverse or the XRverse or whatever that people actually dream about or we see on movies or anything close to it. Yeah. How did your, um, so you spent seven years at Magic Leap and then you made a solitaire game, which you said was your, by units, your most successful game. How did, how did that lead to the origin of what you're doing now with uh, QXR Studio? Well, the last project we were working on at Magic Leap was um, a project with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a remake of A Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, and we were... It was basically, we came up with an alternative version of, of A Midsummer's Night Dream, where the fairy world was real, 
uh, and it was you lived in that world and we were making a version of the play that used augmented reality as well as the, as, as the Magic Leap headset. Um, and we actually taken over a store in Stratford-upon-Avon where we were going to do the play and make the store seem like it was real, do a real store opening. Um, oh, cool. And set up an ARG, an alternative reality game uh, based around fairies are real. They've been amongst humans for a long time. Um, there's an alternative history where ma mankind's never been to the moon. Um, you know, NASA doesn't exist. Um, florists are very important. Um, you, well, you of course, if NASA doesn't exist, florists would be very important. I, um, a plus B equals C right there. Yeah, it's, but it's a world where you, you can ask a favor of a fairy and a fairy might grant that favor or not. But, the, you, know, mm. the, you know, the favor might be, hey, my Aunt Mary has broken her leg. Can you make it, you know, can you make it better? And the fairy might say, yeah, it might, it might fix your Aunt Mary's leg or it might make you, make you forget that you have an Aunt Mary. But either way, problem mm. solved. Um, yeah. So we, we, we were doing that. So we were doing this project. I was doing it with a group of people. Um, and then COVID hits and we had to cancel the play. And then we were all laid off from Magic Leap. Um, mm. But I was working with this extraordinary group of people from Magic Leap um, with Andy Lanning and Austin Grossman, and Prudence Fenton, and um, all the people that we started QXR Studios with. And we, you know, um, we just didn't want to let go of each other. Uh, and we were working with, um, and we, so we decided to form a company. We decided to form at the time That's Quarantine great. Studios. Um, and so we formed Quarantine Studios, which became QXR, um, <laughs> and that was how we kept going together. We just liked working together. Yeah, that's great to have. A, a, I think that's pretty rare to be able to start something new uh, with a full team with, you know, chemistry and, and process and, and working experience together. That's kind of a great um, head start. When when you started QXR, um, did you know that blockchain gaming was something y'all would want to work in, or was that discovered along the way? How did you get introduced to uh, blockchain as as a, a new uh, pattern for uh, game design, game development? We did not think about that to begin with. Um, mm -hmm. That was not on our radar. Um, a continuation of the work with the RSC was initially on our radar. And then that became, you know, the RSC closed down because of the, of the pandemic and that became mm -hmm. untenable. Um, then we started to look at redoing one of my games from 1987, a game called Metropolis, which mm -hmm. we saw people doing speed runs of on Twitch. And we started thinking about that as, um, as a remake, as a PC game. Uh, and we were going to add... Um, these QR codes into the game that would also create an AR game um, within it. So as you play the game, there'd be screens on a PC game that would have um, these QR codes that you could bring your phone up to that would create a puzzle uh, that would let you go into AR and solve the puzzle within AR that would let you continue the PC game. Um, at the same time, NFTs were starting to take off um, and NFTs were starting to get to be extremely popular. And so it was suggested, hey, we should make some NFTs of these assets. And I was like, hell no, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. Um, that's, that's awful. But we talked about it some more. And I was like, well, if we can make something useful with these NFTs, then you know, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Um, mm. And I happened to have a card game engine 
from a very popular solitaire game right. <laughs> on hand. And so I was like, well, you know, I can make a, you know, a CCG. I've always wanted to make one of those. Um, and we can make it based in the Metropolis universe and integrate into the PC game as well. And because the other thing that we, we love to do is to build story worlds. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, blockchain, you know, you know, how do we find a carbon neutral blockchain that is, you know, because a lot of the work we've done at um, Magic Leap as well um, with um, the, uh, the other founder of the company, um, uh, Naomi Augustine, worked with her at, um, at, at the United Nations on, on climate change. So we weren't mm -hmm. about to jump into blockchain and go, yay, blockchain, without doing some due, uh, some due diligence on finding a, a carbon neutral blockchain. So we started to talk to Wax um, about you know, their blockchain and their carbon neutral approach. And we were like, oh, okay, that's interesting. We, we can sleep at night using this platform and, we can, and their approach to their NFT contracts and wanting to, you know, their actual design originally being around kind of card games was kind of a, an interesting look at um, you know, the, the mutable and non-mutable contracts. Um, was kind of an interesting take. So we can see a future there. Um, we started to write the game. We started to write Metropolis Origins and November 17th, we launched the beta of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we're, st we're still in beta, but that's how we got from PC game to QR codes to launching NFTs to actual full CCG game. Got it. So when, when it was first uh, proposed to you, it sounds like it was just hey, NFTs are hot, we're making this game, we have art, let's turn the art into NFTs and print money in the money machine, right? That was yeah, kind of the and idea. I was like, hell no. That's, <laughs> and that's just, people were doing that, and we yeah. looked at a bunch of games, and, you know, there's some games out there that's, that have just, here's our pack of cards that are coming, and there's no game yet. Um, right. And... We can't do that personally. That's not who we are. We have to have a game that says, here's our game. You can play it now. Um, you know, come support us. Yeah, that's great. So, so there's so much to talk about in that little story. Um, one, one thing I want to hit on is you have a game from 1987 that you saw people doing speed runs of on Twitch. That's amazing. Oh yeah, like, I most I I've been working in in games for twenty years at this point, and most of my games are live service games, which means if they're not live right now, they're dead. Like Dragon Age Legends is gone; you you can't play it anymore. And you know, even Flash games that I did with robust backends are gone. And so uh, there are a lot of there. You know, one advantage of working in ye olde ways of non live service things <laughs> is that. They still exist, and that's that's so amazing. That must have been so gratifying that here you are in, in 2021 and people are doing speedruns on a, a game of yours, probably on uh, emulation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, that's how I got to play the game again, was, you know, go boot uh, your DOS box. And yeah. like, oh, my God, the thing runs so fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was it about uh, going back to Metropolis that felt like the right uh, fit f for a blockchain game? 
I'd been making, we've been making the PC game, and we've yeah. been looking for a universe to build an IP in. Um, mm-hmm. And we wanted to build out a story world that we felt had an expansive story world that was interesting, full of characters we wanted to tell stories about. Yeah. Um, we always wanted to be able to tell stories where we can sit in a coffee shop and say, this is just an interesting place to have a cup of coffee. Um, and most games we see just have, you know, games where numbers fly by, you know, yeah. and everyone as a game designer sees this, it's just games where it's an Excel sheet and just, you know, numbers fall off and, you know, and you can win or lose. But, but the best games are games where, you know, you can see, I want to know what happens next in the story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to create a world where I want to know what happens next in the story as well. And so Metropolis is an attempt at creating not just a one game, one CCG, but also an attempt to create a story world that is compelling. So we have the motion comics, we have the next step of Faction Wars, which brings raids to CCG, you know, multiplayer raids that can, that, that, you, know, that you can actually play. Um, and it's an attempt to bring an overall arc where you care for your characters the same way you used to care for your your D&D character back in the yeah. 1980s that sheet that you carried around every week to you know to those yeah. D&D games that was you know my per- my personality was in that sheet um, and so if we can bring that to a game to a blockchain game then then we win um, that's and blockchain's made for that blockchain's really good at that yeah um, that's that reflects I think blockchain more than most blockchain games do yeah i was i was thinking about that a lot just the other day actually that like so my my friendship group uh we were big into magic the gathering and we were very um sensitive young boys and every time we tried to play D, i think there would be about six hours of character creation and then one hour of role playing at best that would end with a temper tantrum and tears from and it wasn't like it wasn't like there was one person where they're just like ethan just chill out like just somebody somebody was not able to handle it and so like we never had a successful dungeons and dragons campaign um but i used to read the uh dungeon master's guide like cover to cover um multiple times and i think that was like the most experience one of the most important game design experiences i've ever had um especially when thinking about blockchain games is just like thinking about things as a system and setting up systems that there are guide rails for what your players can do but they also it's designed in a way that they can um take it in their own direction as well i i think that's what's potentially i you know i i I feel like most of the metaverse talk is very overblown um but the idea of like it just a lot of it seems um like it comes from people who either either somebody just means roblox competitor or it's someone who's like never made a game who's talking about like building 57 games essentially and and you just kind of go this is never happening but um I, I think Dungeons and Dragons and other GURPS and, and other tabletop and pen and paper games, game systems show what's really possible with, with blockchain, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, that's where I think we're trying to take it with Faction Wars. And it's those memories of your traveler 
Uh, I don't know if you ever played the board game called Hero Quest. Um, no. It, it, it's a D and it play, It follows the D and D rules, um, mm-hmm. but it's you know you play one of four adventurers. Although the remake has six adventurers now, um, but it's it, it's out again. It's they're reprinting it now. It, worthwhile picking up because a lot of faction wars is based on it. Um, I can make a note of that. Yeah. This yep. is really just me doing my own research in public, basically. So I'm just gonna <laughs> rip it down. Make but Hero Quest, great game. Yeah, um, Metropolis is a is a cyberpunk world. Uh, I'm a big fan of um, William Gibson. He's one of my favorite authors, um, and I often feel like a lot like probably you felt this way at, at Magic Leap, and and actually I imagine several times throughout your career as you're working kind of on the edge of technology uh uh in discovery blockchain is the first time that i felt like oh like i feel like legitimate william gibson cyberpunk experiences are happening in in the present moment um but i'm wondering uh what was uh, what have been some of the inspiration points for metropolis uh for you and the team and in fleshing out that that deep narrative world i think it's it's always been not taking the world it's i mean the world has a talking rabbit um mm-hmm. who's running for mayor so the inspiration is kind of the old 2000 ad comics douglas mm-hmm. adams and cyberpunk um mixed in with of course william gibson you know blade runner you know neil stevenson um, yeah. but the world i see so many nitty gritty cyberpunk that is the right. future is this dystopian oh my god tomorrow that is going to be you know that is a warning right all Mm -hmm. dystopian cyberpunk novels are a warning of unless you fix your 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 world now it's going to be like this and everyone's like yeah bring it oh my god i'm going to be in the net it's going to be great but Mm -hmm. you know that novel is really a warning of don't do this (laughs) it's it's, yeah all all us geeks are like yeah bring it on bring it on um um the world of Metropolis is the world of, you know, three factions, um, you know, the, uh, the government, the underground and the corporations uh, who are really out there over the top in a Douglas Adamy way. There's, you know, Desmond of Rabbits, there's, the, uh, there's elevators that go on strike. There's, uh, right. there's, there's, there's a random, you know, commentary to it to all that still makes a commentary on society but is also entertaining at the same time um using using cars, humor it sounds using like. humor yeah. um and so those stories are we find our own place within that universe and that's the original metropolis game was like this too um and so we've not tried to you know to be that nitty gritty cyberpunk game we're sure we're still got you know flying cars we what well, we we you know, I'm, I'm basically off a 1987 cyberpunk game that was, you know, that was, and we've tried to stick with a lot of that. But that world is, I think, still, you know, if you can tell stories in that universe, I think it's a lot easier to tell stories with a little bit of humor and a little bit of larger than life values and trying to reflect some, you know, there's so much badness in the world today that people want yeah. to escape. They want to escape this funny. They, they want that, you know, and so that world's the interesting world that we're trying to tell a story in. Um, and it's 
more interesting as a faction, you know, in Faction Wars, when, when I'm playing the underground, I, you know, I want to fight the invasion of the bunnies. I want to fight the, you know, the, I, I want to fight the corporate machines that wake up after 50 years and suddenly decide to come out of a basement one day and decide that, you know, they're, you know, you know they've woken up and their original COBOL programming must must take effect and, you know, start mm -hmm. rebuilding. These funny stories are the more fun stories to, you know, to play in raids than some sort of, you know, over conspired conspiracy right so it's not not grimdark more more on the uh douglas adams maybe terry pratchett sounding yeah. side of things using using humor uh to make a commentary on the present exactly um, it sounds like uh so you guys you said chose wax as your blockchain um, it sounds like carbon neutrality was a big part of that decision for you were there other um other factors that went into choosing uh, Wax as your uh, blockchain for your first uh, blockchain-based game? We also got to know the folks at, um, at Atomic Hub. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Jonas over there in particular was pretty helpful. Um, so just, as you know, the blockchain community is a great community. So yeah. you have, you, your community is everything. Um, mm -hmm. So getting to grow that community. And so the intro to, um, you know, to Jonas was being able to just go guide us through how to, oh, we have to learn how to actually go and advertise what we're doing with NFTs, learn what we're doing with NFTs, integrate ourselves with other games that were also popular on the WAX blockchain, look at what they're doing successfully. Um, and then look at the WAX blockchain API itself is also extremely well documented. And not all, not all blockchains are extremely well documented. Um, yeah. You know, that's a lot of the non-Ethereum, non-Bitcoin blockchain tokens are, you know, here's our, here's our GitHub. Good luck. Um, and uh, whereas Wax actually has an awful lot of documentation that is really good. Um, that so, and I said they're mutable, non, they're mutable and non-mutable contracts is very mm -hmm. much like, like that original D&D &D sheet where you can rub a number out and put a new number in. So, <laughs> which is what you want for... A D and D game. Got it. What have been um, some of the biggest adjustments uh, you've had to make, either in terms of working practice or way of designing or way of thinking, as you've moved into this new space? I think um, for me, one of the biggest challenges is thinking about immutability and what do I want to be permanent and how do I allow for things to be permanent and owned, but also have the flexibility I might need to balance a tournament format or to make changes when something's OP or underpowered. So I, I know there's a, a, a lot of challenges to um, uh, adapting to this uh, blockchain space, headspace. We were petrified of that um, when we launched. Um, and, you know, because it's, you do own these cards and you know it's impossible to say hey this card you can no longer play because i own it um and so we made the decision initially for metropolis origins to be beta and to not put the attack and health numbers on the cards the, mm. the, those spaces are blank and we went to the community and said hey you know we're not going to put the numbers on the cards for the nfts we're going to leave them blank and we're going to because we need space to tune because we're tested with a total, you know, until launch, we tested with a total of maybe 20 people. Yeah. Uh, and it's not enough people to 
to know that these things are not OP. Um, um, and we expected a lot of backlash. Uh, mm-hmm. But the community was like, cool, we'll help you. That's great. <laughs> um, and so the community was great. Um, and so our community is, I think as long as that you are up front with the community and treat them as a partner in the game development, which we have learned you know, you know, to do, um, then that's been fine. But we continue to always look at them as you know, a, you know, as a partner at the table in that because yes, we're giving you something that you own. You have to be able to use it. You know, help us understand how to use it best, um, and then they demolish us at the game anyway because they're much better at the game. Than right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's um, that's very insightful. I've I've felt um, kind of the same way that. Uh, as I studied the space, you know, even in other live service games without ownership, just pure mobile live service games, um, I've noticed that uh, the players, the devoted players, feel more ownership over the game than I do when I'm the lead designer, or the executive producer. Like, they feel like the game is theirs, and um, they want to... I think what's appealing to players, um, to the current blockchain players, is it lets them get as close to not only being a gamer, but being a game developer and a game investor as possible. And and all three of those are very fulfilling experiences done right. Like being a game investor can be a lot of fun if, if you're doing it right. Um, and being a game developer can be a lot of fun if you don't have to... Uh, deal with game breaking bugs at two in the morning. You know, there's, there's, yes, AWS. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of joy to be had uh, so long as things are smooth on on production. But um, I I feel like uh, Discord, blockchain game, early access, all of these tools have sort of broken down the barrier between game and team, and and it feels like the most successful projects are those that are able to have a really strong, positive, healthy community um, and use that community as a member of the team, bring them into the room, bring them into the discussion. Yeah, we're in a very good period for blockchain games. I think when you have a community that's small enough that you can have that relationship. Um, I worry about when it gets to be 3 million people. Um, and I worry about when it gets to be, uh, you know, large, you know, yeah. that's one of the concerns that I have of how do we maintain that, that community presence that we feel right now? Um, cause obviously what you value in what we value right now in, in the blockchain game is the community. Um, so how mm-hmm. do we keep that value going as we go forward? Um, right. that's something that I think is going to be interesting to balance as we move from, you know, from beta to launch to, you know, to growth to, and it's, that's actually one of my main concerns is wanting to keep that closeness as much as possible. Um, Because obviously we've seen mainline games go off from their communities. We've seen some games be very successful. Final Fantasy 14 comes to mind of, uh, you know, keeping its community close to its developers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but 
how do we maintain that with blockchain where there's more of a sense of ownership than there is with Final Fantasy fourteen? Yeah, what what has been um, the approach uh, to community building on on Metropolis Origins? Has it just been people who've found it organically? Um, have you been advertising the game or the Discord? Like, how how have you uh, built the current community of what sounds like kind of beta early access uh, players? Um, we were in test up until November, so it was weekend test players, uh, and mm-hmm. our tests grew every weekend and we had to hire a community manager and we only have you know you know two you know early angel investors so there's not much you know money to go and you know do any advertising with mm-hmm. or any you know we don't have you know uh, you know millions and millions of dollars like um to go and put into growth of the game yet right so we've relied more upon just word of mouth word of um you know be able to use our twitter handle being able to use um just just organic growth more than anything else um as we move into the next stage of out of the beta into the next expansion for the game where you you start to be able to actually have raids happen and we move into that beta stage happening on weekends i think we'll start to grow again um and that'll be interesting as to how we actually handle that growth at that point um it's always an interesting challenge as to how you handle you know okay i've got to pay the mortgage but at the same time i've got to also advertise the game right (laughs) yeah yep um well hopefully i you know hopefully the uh the business success can can allow for it and the the organic growth can allow for it it sounds like you've been in uh, beta for about six months now. What have been some of the lessons you've learned on the Metropolis Origins uh, trading card game? I think one of the things we stuck with HTML5 as our client for too long. Um, mm. That was held us back a little bit. And it's great. We launched on HTML5 um, and we're an Unreal game. So. Okay. So it's un- Unreal uh, exporting t- to the WebGL version of the game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're building on an, a version of Unreal 424.3, which has um, been heavily updated to as 424.3s gets further away from you know, the current version of Chrome and the current version of Brave and the current version of, um, you know, of, of, of Safari and so forth. Um, and I think as Chrome and Safari and Brave got newer and newer and newer, and our version of Unreal did not, uh, it became more challenging to support. And we were band-aiding our game and not moving and not moving to a native client. So in, in the last month, we moved to a native client because we, we, we surveyed our, our players and they were all using Windows. Every single last one of them. Uh, mm. it, it was one hundred percent Windows players. Um, and, got and, it. And so we looked. We launched the Windows native clients with uh, with native login to Wax and Anchor, um, and it's made development a hundred times easier. Um, that's and that's sped up development hundred x because it was getting to be extremely painful to go into um, that HTML five development and go add new features in and just deploy it the smallest thing was taking was taking time so now i think we're a lot more nimble on the ground got it that's um 
I've got a lot more. <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious about that because I feel like um, a lot of a, a number of the um, uh, uh, blockchain games I've played have web clients. And I think that's so interesting because of what low friction it is to play a web game. Yeah, there's um, definitely that. And so part of me thinks like web is a great, um, great first game client for a web three client. Cause you can get something out there quick that people can access easily and really, um, uh, reach a wide audience it's not downloading you know even downloading something and installing it's a bit of a barrier to entry um so are you in retrospect are you glad you started with html5 do you oh think yeah. yeah definitely uh and we're going to leave the html5 version there um mm-hmm. and we're going to leave it as a demo you can play the ai and you can go play the game because yes th- th- there is that friction of oh my god i gotta go download something um so but the fact you can go play the game on html5 and go say oh yeah i want to go try this um but the friction of going to you know buy some nfts is way higher than the friction of downloading a client yeah absolutely Um, so you i go play a game on html5 i want to go play it um i'll go you know do the rest of the work I want to go play the client version of the game if I mm-hmm. if, if the game is that good. Um, yeah. That's so yeah. We'll leave the HTML5 version there as the demo, but we'll advance to we'll advance the native client on to to the next level. Got it. That's a great uh, great lesson. Um, how what's the um, what's the revenue model look like? I think part of What's so interesting about blockchain games to me is that at least on on my work in mobile, it felt like it got, you know, things are fairly well known. There's not, you know, huge, massive innovation. Um, If I were to make a new auto battle game, a new collectible card game, a new first person shooter like base building, 80% of it's kind of known. Um, and what's both exciting and frightening in, in, in uh, blockchain games is that um, they allow for and almost require new revenue models and new engagement models. And nobody nobody's figured it out yet. There's no game I can point to and go like, that game has the blueprint for what yeah, a successful, yeah. sustainable economy looks like. Um, so kind of yeah. curious how you're how you're approaching it for uh, Metropolis Origins. It sounds like a lot of the inspiration is from um, collectible card games, um, but curious to hear more. Oh, that we've learned. That's our other big lesson. Uh, and excuse the trash truck in the background. Um, no worries. The um, the at first we launched with what we called the Walmart and Target model of mm-hmm. we want to. Um, cards to be affordable. We want you to be able to go buy a pack of cards for, you know, the cards cost $55 to go buy them and you can go play the game. Um, and that was, you know, and we launched three packs of cards and mm-hmm. our model was that we would rotate the cards in with new artwork and always have a pack of cards available to go buy for fairly cheap and the old cards would be on the marketplace and those would be the things that would gain value for players to be able to go and, you know, have those would become the rarity. Um, and players immediately were, where's the play and earn model in that? I want the play and earn model to be mm. faster than that. The play and earn model has to be uh, a today, not on a 
three-month schedule or a six-month schedule or a yearly schedule or whatever your schedule is going to be. I, I, we're not going to get along with that and that's not going to work for us. We're not interested, which is fair. That's, but we'd always been upfront about that. It was just on the day of our sale, there was a lot of people who came to the game and said, oh, you are played to earn, not, not interested. Um, right. And so we, we've never been play to earn. Um, now we're more modeling our game as play and earn or play to own. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are models that we're introducing into faction wars as, um, as you can now own sections of the city that will affect the PC game. Um, and the PC game will have a reflection of blockchain ownership that happens because of the CCG game. And, and you know, the, the PC games blockchain will affect, they'll both affect each other. Um, so your ownership in one will affect the ownership in the other. Um, and that is, I think, unique. Um, and then the fact you have to play in uh, raids and gain for your faction um, and gain for your, you know, um, so if your faction lags behind, the, your rewards are greater. Um, um, and those are what you gain for your hero. Um, and that those are what you add to your hero. Makes your hero what you gain and becomes more valuable. So a hero becomes valuable. But do you really want to sell your hero? <laughs> uh, um, some people will. Some people will just train up heroes and sell them. Because um, yeah. people do that. That's fun for them. Um, you know, people like to buy high level, level eighty World of Warcraft people all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's. Um, so we're still not embracing, you know, play to earn. You're not going to be able to play a game and, you know, if you shoot that person, you'll get, you know, 0.01 wax. Um, mm-hmm. But more of a, a play and earn or play to own model is the things that we're looking at. And we don't know if it'll work. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've, um, but we've talked to our community about it and they're excited to try it. So, yeah. so it's kind of, uh, it, it sounds like setting the expectation. Yes, you'll be able to get stuff, NFTs and tokens by playing this game, but this game isn't a game you should play in order to make a living, right? Not all players should be able to uh, take home uh, a, a Filipino salary just by playing the game instead of uh, working. There is no idle game aspect to what we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is no leave your game overnight and come back in the morning rich because of um, right. of what you've done. Uh, we don't subscribe to idle game um, uh, to idle game mechanics at all. Yeah, it's really um, interesting. This is a. a pattern that's coming out through the different interviews like we just talked to um Khaled from Alluvium and they just had a very successful land sale and and he talked all about um players who are kind of an investor type and modifying gameplay patterns for investors because they have different expectations than a competitive player uh you know more traditional game yeah. might have oh yeah there is definitely different expectations amongst players too um mm-hmm. you and some of the high end in you know, by 
um, we just had a meeting on this, and one of the suggestions we had was um, for some of the players, for the, the, the play and own, we, we, we would rather give them, you know, if you hold a certain card on a certain day, we'd rather give them a limousine run of a comic mm. um, and we'll actually send you a physical comic. We, we would rather send you physical items than, you know, of rarity or I don't have our cards. Um, we actually printed out our cards too. Oh, cool. you know, here's, here's our cards. Um, but we actually did print decks and now they're all gone. Um, <laughs> they're really cool. Um, but um, some players really respond well to those things of, you know, I would rather play for physical items. Like, you know, th- th- those are the things I want to own rather than, gains of power within the game um mm-hmm. you know that that's more attractive to, to them than the plus 20 sword um i would rather own this piece of land that gains me you know something physical than than the plus 20 sword um and that's kind of an interesting thing to cater to them both and sometimes you can sometimes you can't sometimes you've got to make a choice for the gameplay um that is because the fun game must come first right yeah um, I'm curious if this uh, time in history on this particular platform is giving you strong deja vu to any of the other newer emerging platforms you've worked on throughout your career. Um, you know, for me, I, I worked um, 10, 12 years ago in Facebook Canvas free to play gaming. And to me, this moment in time feels a lot like. Um, like that and and particularly like this uh start of this crypto winter that we're in right now almost feels like um like facebook just turned off the newsfeed uh virality and now we're discovering what now we have to discover what games are that can't use that viral hook look like that's kind of what i feel like now that we're moving past um the frenzy phase where it seemed like any white paper could get uh you know, eight figure million token raises. Um, but I'm curious if you have any deja vu to, uh, to any of your earlier experiences in, in game development. When I was making seventh guest, um, there was a bulletin board called genie, um, mm-hmm. that we talked about seventh guest on and Chris Crawford was on genie and he came to see our demo at, um, at CES and he posted on genie after he saw it. I don't know how Graham is cheating or whatever he said, but a CD-ROM, no matter how fast it goes, can't do that. And I'll eat my shoe if Graham actually brings that game out. (laughs) And I was like, way to go, Chris. Words of encouragement there. (laughs) Oh, did he ever eat that shoe? See, in in the modern world, he'd have to eat it on TikTok live for his audience. (laughs) Um, and I was like, and now it's, it's very much the same on Twitter of people like, you know, no Graham, what are you doing? NFTs. It's the, it's, it's, it's the most, I'm like, no, actually the blockchain is, is the closest we have to democracy amongst games. It get, you know, it's a new and exciting technology and you know, I've read the white paper you've all shared with me now a hundred times. Right. Um, and, but, you know, why don't you look at what I'm doing? Why don't you play my game? Why don't you, you know, trust that I've done this for, you know, 40 odd years and maybe I see something here. 
Yeah. No, we don't trust you. It's just a, it's yeah. a, and so there's a lot of deja vu to seventh guest, and um, I'm just going to do. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's another thing that reminds me of. Um, I feel like I've had this. Uh, 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 the biggest successes of my career. And it's a pretty small career, but like it's all it's all been in being willing to dive into the things that other people are uh, shying away from. And, you know, for me, it was uh, free to play when when free to play started emerging. Other kind of more traditional game designers hated it and felt it was ruining their games. And I thought it was new and interesting and and being willing to dive into that thing that other people thought was wrong or garbage or ruining their beautiful hobby and passion. Like, I mean, I, I, I understand personally where all the friction is, um, where a lot of it comes from, but like, you know, in, in, if all I've been doing for, you know, the past 12 of those 20 years is designing digital economies where people play, pay fiat money for fake things wouldn't it be better to do that same thing except they own the fake thing and they can sell it to somebody else who wants to buy it like it seems pretty yeah. natural it, it's and it's yeah it, what we're doing is not evil um and yeah. like you say though no one has hit it no there's right. no blueprint yet right um, we know we what point to we know what a Ponzi scheme looks like, but we can't yet oh, say, yeah. look, Metropolis Origins has been running its economy for three years and it hasn't blown up yet. And what a great model of monetization and, and carbon neutral, uh, you know, uh, using technology that embraces your values and and it's profitable for the company and players love it. Like, hopefully that's where we'll be in, in three years, but it's a little, uh, yeah. little early for that now. Yeah, that's... That's the truth of it. That is the exact truth. If there's one thing to take from this this podcast, that is what I hope to come back to in three years. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting when I was looking, you know, so so few games, so few blockchain games, you know, there's a lot of discords out there and a lot of projects out there. There's not a lot that's playable out there. Um, not only has Metropolis Origins been playable for six months, um, but you actually have a free on-ramp into the game. You don't need to own NFTs in order to play. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have um, the tourist cards that let you play a subset of the game. Um, mm -hmm. So not all the cards, but enough for you to play um, the game and get a taste of it. Um, we noticed that... Um, um, a lot of our players from around the world, um, that's especially overseas, wax is a lot easier to get into than it is in North America. Um, in North America, um, the wallet is getting easier all the time, um, but it's not as easy to get into as, say, uh, the Apple App Store. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I want to go buy the set of cards. Um, and a lot of people want it to be that easy. Um, so... We wanted to take that friction away for people to at least be able to try the game. So, like, here's the tourist deck. It's enough for you to be able to play the game and play your friend who who, who might have a bunch of the NFTs and get a feeling for it. But um, if you like it, then you'll go through the friction of 
going to you know, make a wallet and go buy some cards. Or, you know, more often than not, your friend will send you cards in a wallet right. or NFT or you'll win some in a in um, in one of our tournaments and then you'll have some cards of your own and you'll slowly add to them. Um, but it's a way of getting into the game uh, that lets you come in for free. Um, and we thought that was a good idea. Um, and we still do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this, if you made it this far, you can play Metropolis Origins right now without any NFT ownership, without setting up a wax wallet, without going through all the friction. And I I know that's like one of the biggest um, friction points that developers are facing when it comes to uh, the game. This section of the game is like uh, how hard it is to even figure out how to play a blockchain game for the first time or to play a game on a new chain that you haven't experienced before for the first time. Um, yeah, definitely. This has been a, a, a fantastic interview. And like I said, a true game design legend. I could uh, pick your, your brain for hours. I'm sure um, I'll, I'll, I'll close it out and just ask what uh, you know, you've got quite a, a deep roadmap out there for Metropolis origins. What are you, um, most excited about uh, when you look at, at your roadmap? What are you excited about putting in front of players' hands and, and seeing what the feedback is? Oh, uh, more than two players playing the game. Uh, having <laughs> three or more players in a map playing the game. Up until now, every single CCG out there has is, is been one-on-one. Um, mm-hmm. We have three, four, five, six players in a map playing. Um, you know, It's almost That's like cool. a, a... It's... And you can all you have to take your turns and see what's happening. So you, you, your turn ahead plot might completely change based upon, based upon what someone else is doing. Um, and that's, I think, going to be... I can't wait for those playtests. I think awesome. that's just going to change things up. Um, that and, um, and PvE, CCG. Um, putting, you know, those... Not just cards that um, that everyone else has, but all of a sudden, you know, the AI has the twenty foot monster card. <laughs> right. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, yeah, that's those are going to be interesting times when you all have to band together to go take something down, and that's just yeah, not been done together. That's 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 new too. Those new things, um, I think, are just going to be fun to unleash. Awesome. Well, Graham, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I look forward to those features as well. And uh, like I said, anybody listening can check out Metropolis Origins right now, wallet or no, and uh, see what uh, Graham and the team are uh, up to with blockchain games. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.